just like last week, I want to begin with just a, a couple of important uh, notes of business, I guess. And the first is that I am uh, neither a licensed psychologist or counselor. Again, I'm about a two-thirds minor of uh, uh, in psychology slash counseling. And so, uh, so know that. Um, I also want to say, again, like I said last week, and we'll say uh, every sermon in this series, that uh, I am a person who believes that depression is a real mental illness that people have and that can be verified through science. And I know there are some in some church settings, not as many anymore as, as science kind of moves forward, but there are some who would say that depression is not something that is a, a psychological disease, that if you become a better Christian or whatever, then then you're, you're just going to be fixed of all your sad feelings and you'll always be happy. Uh, I'm not one of those people. I do believe in a disease called depression. And uh, I want to point out, along with that, that this series is not meant to, to be a replacement for the medications that you might take. Um, I'm not against you taking medicine if medicine will help you live more fully for Jesus. Uh, and so I want to get those things out there uh, so that nobody, especially online, sues me. I don't think any of you would, but uh, so that nobody online, when they listen later, sues me. Uh, but here's the thing. Even though I believe it's a disease, even though I'm not a, a psychologist or a counselor, I, I do believe that the Bible, something that I am qualified to teach, uh, has a ton to say uh, about being depressed. And when I say depression, again, I don't mean depression just in the clinical sense of the word. I mean depression in the dictionary sense of the word, and that is feelings of dejection or despair. It's just that, that feeling that we all at some point, whether we're clinically depressed or not, will face where it's just like, this is terrible. Not just sad, but this is terrible because it's confusing and it's frustrating and I'm angry and I'm hurt and I'm broken and it, life really has just become dark for us. And, and some of you will deal with that just because of the way that your brains are wired, but others of us will deal with it simply because life sometimes is bad and it leaves us in places where we are depressed in the broadest sense of that term. I mentioned last week that I recently have been depressed, I'm coming out of it, but because my dog died, and I said last week that uh, in that depression, I felt like I had two choices, and the choices were just be always busy, doing whatever, wasting time, playing video games, watching TV, just trying not uh, to not let my mind you know, go anywhere besides to whatever wasn't my life, or be just constantly sad and frustrated and broken and cry and uh, and it didn't seem like either of those decisions were very good and and here's the reality that I see about depression depression makes us feel in some ways worthless and it might be because we've lost something that created worth in us. It might just be that we feel down about ourselves. It might be that we've put ourselves into this depression. And so we're just like, man, I'm, I'm not worth what I was a week ago or I'm, I'm just worthless. And, and out of that kind of feeling of worthlessness, like I don't matter, we oftentimes make decisions that are very poor. You all know this, right? I mean, I'm not telling you, uh, this is not the sermon. This is just setting us up because you already know this to kind of be true. When we are depressed, when we're broken, when we're hurt, when the, the light has gone out in our lives, we oftentimes do things 
that we never would have done if we weren't depressed. And, and sometimes, and we know this to be true too, when we do those things, because we're depressed, then we feel like an idiot. And I say we. We feel like an idiot for doing them, and it causes us to be more depressed. And oftentimes, the greatest, the greatest barrier to breaking our depression is the things we do because we're depressed in the first place, because it just turns into this cycle that, that for a lot of people, pushes them further and further into depression. We know this uh, in the simplest of ways, because people often do drugs, to, to make themselves feel better uh, about whatever situation in life has made them depressed. And I don't mean drugs in the clinical sense again. I mean other drugs. And it's like, well, this will make me feel better. Uh, people often do things that they know are inherently sinful. If you're a Christian, then you believe in this thing called sin that we reject God's ways. And, and a lot of times I've been around Christians who do things that are sinful simply because they think or they feel like it's going to make them feel better. And then after they've committed that sin, they've done whatever it is, then, then they go, well, now I feel worse because now I've added to this bad feeling these other things that I know are wrong and I feel guilty. And so now I'm depressed and guilty, which makes me just kind of a little bit more depressed. And, and so we know, we know, we get it. Uh, the depression, perhaps more than anything else, I'm just throwing that in there off the fly, but perhaps more than any other kind of of thing that we deal with, perhaps even more than the temptations that exist in our world, depression makes us do things that, that we regret later, that we, that we don't think are any good in the first place, and we do them anyway. And the good news, I guess, is that there's this story in the Bible about a guy named Elijah who's depressed, and we'll see that pretty clearly. We'll see that he's depressed. And out of that depression... Elijah does things that he never would have done before. And it's interesting to see, and this is what we're going to look at today, the interaction between depressed Elijah and God, because it reveals to us a lot about what we ought to do instead of just kind of making poor decisions. And, and this is even better, and I told you that this series is, is about comfort. That's why it's called Comfort. This series is about giving you biblical assurances. It's not like feel guilty because you don't do these things. We're going to see that if we will make good decisions despite our depression, then God can use it for incredible things. And so here's, here's how the story begins. First Kings 19.1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Elijah had recently witnessed uh, one of the most incredible visible triumphs of God that the world has ever seen. Uh, there's this great story, I'm not going to rehash it all, where it's like a showdown between the prophets of Baal, a false god that, that some of the people in the area worshipped, and, and Elijah, who's a prophet of the real living God. And, and it's like this whole deal, like who can get fire to come down on this altar that's been built just by praying or whatever. And uh, it's quite the scene, read it, it's in 1 Kings 18, and Elijah wins. That's the situation. Elijah wins, and a lot of people actually accept God as God and start to worship God. Uh, and Ahab, who's king at the time, goes and he tells his wife, who's one of the most evil people ever to live on earth. And, and, and so he goes and he tells him and about all that Elijah has done. And then we're going to jump in, and this is so fascinating to me. We're going to jump into this, this situation that's, uh, that's all about Elijah's depression. Now, I want you to put that on your heads because I think we already understand that depression doesn't always make sense, right? Like sometimes we get depressed 
even though it seems like things are good in our lives. We talked about how things can throw you into depression, but sometimes it's not the things that you would expect at all. And in fact, I've noticed this trend in my own personal life that when I start to feel really good about something, then it seems like something else will just immediately throw me in depression. There's all this success and then somebody will say like the smallest little thing and it makes me feel more depressed than I normally do. And it's like, well, what happens there? And I don't know what happens there. Sorry if you were looking for an answer to that question. But I do know that that's the situation for Elijah. His life is not taking a turn for the worse. It's not like everything is all of a sudden God gone bad for him. It's not like his dog has died or his mom has died. It's like he's just had this giant, great success. A, a bigger success than most of us will probably ever have. And Elijah's about to just drop into the deepest depression of his life, at least that's recorded for us in scripture. And then in verse 2 it says, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, one of the dead prophets. So Jezebel, this evil, evil woman, makes a threat to Elijah. And the threat sounds bad. I mean, I wouldn't like it if I got, you know, a death threat. But, but the, weird, the weird part of all this is, is that this is not like new for Elijah. Elijah has faced like, you know, the wrath of Jezebel for the majority of his ministry. And the other weird part about this is, is it seems like a very empty threat because Jezebel knows where Elijah is. She's queen of all the land and she sends messengers to just say, hey, I'm going to kill you. Just think about it now. She could have sent policemen in our terms. She could have sent some army guys just to go get him and bring him back so that she could kill him. And so there's this clearly empty threat that Jezebel makes. Hey, here's what you need to know. That I, because I'm mad at you, because I'm angry, because I'm frustrated that that my prophets were killed because of what you did, uh, I'm going to kill you. And you think like, Elijah has dealt with all this stuff. I mean, he's been pushing along in ministry, having what seems like um, the majority of the world reject what he's saying. He has a king and a queen who hate him. And now, all of a sudden, he gets an empty threat and he gets depressed. Now, this is the other reality that I don't have an explanation for. Just that want to point out that Elijah deals with this, uh, that I see in, in our depression. And, and that is that sometimes it's the small thing at the end of a lot of big things that kind of pushes us over the top. It's like the littlest thing that can just, just destroy us. Uh, in the book Unbroken, which I've used in almost every sermon, go read it if you haven't already. But uh, I mean, he's dealing with like the worst stuff. He's being tortured, he's being beaten, he's shipwrecked for a really, really long time. I won't tell you how many days because, you know, I don't want to give it away. But, uh, but like a really, really long time, it's pretty bad. They're like tearing birds with their hands to stay alive. Then he's beaten, he's in prison, and, uh, and he's being treated horribly. And, and he says in the, in the book uh, later, he says back that this duck that they had befriended is killed by one of the guards. And he said, of all the moments that I dealt with, of all the things that I dealt with in my time overseas, on the ocean, in Japan, that was the hardest of them all. 
It's weird how sometimes like, and you know this, like you're dealing with terrible, terrible stuff at home and everything's bad and somebody's died and then somebody at work just kind of says something and all of a sudden it just throws you into a darker place. It's weird how that works. I was watching some Fuller House this weekend. There's a new Full House. Seemed like everybody was watching it because Netflix kicked me off at one point and I couldn't watch it anymore. And uh, way more lighthearted than Unbroken, the story. But you know the show Full House, yeah? Uh, but the new, there's a new one on Netflix. And, uh, and there's this little kid whose dad has died and who's had family changes like crazy and now people have moved into his house and uh, they kind of make light of all that except it would be very difficult on a kid when all of a sudden people are moving and his family's moving away and it's all terrible. And then like the thing that sets him over the top and causes him to react is that somebody takes his room. You know, and he even gets to the end, and, and there's this, this a little bit profound, because that's what Full House is built on, like a whole bunch of not really good television for one profound moment at the end, you know what I mean? Uh, and there's like this profound moment when he's like, look, I get that it was wrong, but all this stuff has happened, and then I lost my room, and it was too much. And that's how depression works, and that's what's happened with Elijah. The, the strong has become the weak on just an empty, an empty threat. And here's what happens. This is how we know Elijah is depressed. First Kings 19, three through five. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there and he, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed, notice this, that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now, one part of this is very famous, that part where he says, take my life. But I want to point something else out first. Uh, Elijah runs away from this threat, and in doing so, Elijah is actually running away from his God-given responsibility. Elijah has been told by God, you are to be a prophet, you are to speak my truth in this land. And Elijah, because of his depression, like I mentioned earlier, goes, I'm done doing what God wants me to do. I am going that way. And he heads about as far south as you can possibly head in the kind of known land, the, uh, the inhabited land at the time. He just goes as far south as he can possibly go. And he sits there under a broom bush, having left his servant, and, and depression does that to us, doesn't it? It makes us want to be alone when maybe it's the worst time to be alone. And he's like, look, you stay here. I'm going to keep going south. I'm going to get away from it all. And, and Elijah lays down, done with life, and says, look, I'm not worth anything. I'm no better than my ancestors. Kill me. Now, suicide for, for a Jewish person was not something that they would have ever considered doing. And I hope it's nothing that, that, that you would consider doing either. Uh, it was not seen as an option, as it should not be seen as an option. And, and so Elijah would never have, have taken his own life. But here in this moment that we read about, he wants God to take his life. I, I read something almost exactly like this somewhere or heard it somewhere just a couple of weeks ago and I have no idea where it was and I couldn't find it again. Uh, and so this is a loose quote, but it was like this. I would never have killed myself, but I prayed every night for God to take my life. I think some of us get that. Even if it's not extreme, like suicidal thoughts, it's like, I just don't know 
what the point is anymore. And if God would just kill me, everything would be all right. Everything would be better. It would be, it would be beneficial to me if I would just die. And some of you may have even prayed at some point in your life that God would just kill you because you're looking at your life and you're like, I'm just not worth that much. I'd rather be dead than alive because I don't feel that good about who I am and what's going on and where life has taken me. We said in the video for this series, and I said last week, that you're you're just not alone. You're not alone. And here is Elijah, one of the great men who has ever lived, who has just come out of a situation where he has, has prayed to God and fire has come down and then right after that prayed to God and the rain stopped. I mean, incredible connection to God, a very godly individual. And Elijah is so depressed that he just wants God to kill him. Now, what's interesting to me is that I would have thought That doesn't sound like a Bible thing, you know? Like, that doesn't sound like a Bible thing. And, well, it's cool we have that one story about, you know, a godly individual who felt like me, you know, who felt like we feel. But here's the crazy part. That there are at least four other instances of this exact same language for people that absolutely changed the world. In Numbers 11, 15, Moses I mean, Moses is a big deal. They make cartoons about Moses still. I mean, if if Steven Spielberg makes a cartoon about your life, then you are a big, important figure in the history of the world. Let's just call it what it is, or you're fictional. Um, But Moses wasn't. And so here, Moses, listen to Numbers 11, 15. He's talking to God. If this is how you were going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. I mean, Moses is so fed up, so depressed in some ways that he's like, God, if this is the way you're gonna make my life go, then I don't wanna live anymore. So just kill me rather than have me go on like this. In Job 3.11, Job says, and his life was really bad at this point, really, really bad. I mean, he's sick and his kids have died and his wife is a jerk. Uh, And he says, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? don't want to be alive. I wish I never would have lived my life is so bad. I I have such little value to this world. I am am so unimportant in this world that I wish I never would have existed. Jonah, this is a questionable one because Jonah was more angry maybe than he was depressed, but but I'll read it anyway. Jonah in Jonah 4.11, he's the guy that got swallowed by a fish. Uh, He said, I'm so angry I wish I were dead. I don't know if it's the connection, but it's another guy who's like, I am so frustrated with this situation in my life that I wish I was no longer alive. And then Jeremiah, one of God's great prophets, he says it the most clear way, and he just kind of goes on and on and on, and I want to read you these, these verses, Jeremiah 20, 14 through 18, cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew with pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb. With my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Like, yeah, we got it, Jeremiah. <laughs> like, I mean, that's, that's straight up, right? I mean, he's not pulling any punches. Jeremiah is so depressed. 
at this point in his life, in the work that God has for him, that Jeremiah is like, cursed is the day that they found out I would exist. I wish I would have died right in my mother's womb. And here's the first thing I want to say. I think it's important. If you no longer want to live, or if you've ever felt like you no longer want to live, then you're not alone. In fact, you're so not alone that some of the greatest, most important men of our faith, of my faith, felt and dealt with the exact same thing. Some of the greatest figures who have ever walked the earth that did more for God than I could dream about doing, who saw miracle after miracle after miracle, who saw God even provide for them time and time again, looked at their lives at certain points and said, I am so depressed, God. This is so bad. I am worth so little that I wish you would just kill me. Now, I want to say this at this point. Um, you can gently that uh, if this is you right now, then there's a couple of things that, that you just need to hear. First of all, don't kill yourself. Uh, none of these guys did. <laughs> don't kill yourself. Second of all, express it to God. I mean, these guys didn't shy away from it. And sometimes we think like we need to tread lightly with God, like don't make him mad. But these guys are like, God, you have failed me. Pretty much what they're saying. You've made it so bad for me. And I don't think God really did it, but that's how they felt. They just express it. God, would you just kill me? Because look at where you've put me. Look at what you've done to me. And Moses said it outright. If this is what you're gonna do to me, God, then kill me too. So express it to God and then tell somebody else. I mean, here's Elijah just with his servant, right? And Elijah does what depressed people do. And I think it's a trick of Satan. He just says, you stay here. I'll go over there and be depressed by myself. And that is not good for any of us. What I think the Bible shows us clearly over and over and over again is that we are always better off if we do things with other people. And so if you are depressed, and especially if you're thinking, I don't want to live anymore, then please tell somebody. Tell me. I would, I would, I'd be glad to talk to you about that. I'd be glad to sit and discuss depression with you, and there will be no judgment because to judge you if you feel like dying is to judge Elijah and Moses and Jeremiah and, and some of the great people who have ever lived, and I, I don't want to be uh, accused of that. The story continues. And this, this is just gonna, it's so good. It's just so good, and I think it, it just shows us what God thinks about our depressed states when we're in them. At 1 Kings 19, 5 through 9, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Look around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, the first thing, really important, is that God doesn't ignore Elijah's depression. And I think that's how we feel sometimes, like God has forgotten about us. God, if you knew what was going on in me, then 
then you would do something about it, then you'd care, then you'd be here for me or whatever. And, and we see in the story of Elijah that, that God does care. In fact, he meets some of Elijah's most immediate needs. And I, I would just say that I think when we're eating poorly and we're not sleeping, then, then depression is worsened. I don't know if that's true for everybody, uh, but, I, but I, I just, uh, observation, my observations tell me that that's true. If you're eating badly and you're not sleeping well, then you'll probably become more and more depressed. And, and God sees Elijah in his most depressed state, hungry and sleepy, and, and he comes out and, and he just provides for Elijah. And it tells me that God cares about you and your depression. And it tells me that maybe, even if you can't see it, God is actually taking care of you in the midst of your depression. And one of the sad realities of depression is that it makes us feel like we don't matter and it makes us feel like nobody cares. But in this story, we see that God does care even even if you can't feel it because you're depressed. Elijah isn't like all pumped, I want to point that out, because he got this food. I mean, Elijah doesn't go, oh, I'm all better now, God. (laughs) Fixed it. Thanks for that hot meal. Everything is good now. He stays depressed, and we'll see that in a minute. But God, in the midst of that darkness, is providing for Elijah. Now, here's the other part that's really important. God provides for Elijah, and he provides for him the ability to do what he's called him to do. Elijah runs away from the will of God. God provides for Elijah so that that Elijah can do what God has called him to do. And then notice what Elijah does. Elijah goes, he continues to go the opposite direction of where God has called him to be. He continues to run away from the will of God for his life. He continues to run away from his God-given duties. And God asks this this just really important question. What are you doing here? See, this question is about where Elijah was supposed to be and what he was supposed to be doing rather than what he was doing and where he was. And Elijah gives this answer. It's obvious what I'm doing here, God. I mean, he he says, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. God, you want to know what I'm doing? Go in the opposite direction of where you told me to go? Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing. Everything is messed up. And here's my question for you, for you, especially if you're depressed now. But, but for you that aren't uh, just in general and, and for when you are depressed again someday, here's the questions. Uh, what reason do you give for not being where God wants you to be? And what reason do you give for not doing what God wants you to do? You see, when it, we're depressed, it's like, it's like this. Well, God, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but my family is so messed up right now, and look what they did to me. And if you knew my aunt or uncle or cousin or brother or mom or dad, if you knew them, then God, you would understand why I'm here and not where you told me to be, why I'm doing these things that you told me not to do. You would understand, God, if you just were recognizing the situation that I'm in. Or like this, you know, I loved them, but they left me. You know, like, God, hey, I would do what you want me to do, but I loved that person, and now they're no longer here. I loved them, and they died. God, I, I loved them, and you let them die. You let them get cancer, and I would do what you want me to do, but look what you have allowed to happen. Look what you have done. And so why am I over here when I'm supposed to be over there? Because, because look what's happened. 
God, I know you want me to, to be nice to that person, but they're mean. And they make me feel bad. And, and, and God, if you just knew the things they said to me, if you'd pay attention to what they've done to me, then you would know why I'm here and not there. God, I'm not good enough. Sure, God, you've, you've called me to that. You've told me that. You've said I should do that. But, but I, I feel in my bones that I'm not equipped or talented enough or good enough or strong enough or how I don't have enough perseverance. And so, God, you want to know why I'm not where I'm supposed to be? You want to know why I'm not doing what you've called me to do? Because you didn't make me right. You didn't make me the way you were supposed to make me. I mean, we say, I'm not pretty enough. God, I just, if I looked better, I mean, if I, if I just looked like, you know, prettier or more beautiful, then I could do what you called me to do, but I don't feel good about myself because of how you made me and what I look like, and I'm depressed because of it, and, and so that's why I'm not where I'm supposed to be and doing what I'm supposed to do, and it could just be summed up like this. God, I'm depressed. I know what you want me to do, but look how I feel, and especially how I feel about me, and, and that's why I'm not where you, God, asked me to be. See, Elijah just does what we do. God's like, in our souls, we feel. God may not talk to us out loud, but we are like, God is just saying, what are you doing here? How come you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing? Why are you doing this when you're not supposed to be doing this? We feel it in our souls. And we go, well, God, I'm not cool enough. I'm not good looking enough. They died. They left. My family, yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is what Elijah does. And here's what God does. The Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? You see, the wind and the earthquake and the fire, they all remind us of another event that took place on that same mountain. And that mountain is also called Sinai in the Old Testament. And, and on that mountain, God revealed himself at the very beginning of the Israelite nation. The Jewish people were gathered around that mountain. God showed up in earthquake, wind, and fire, gave them the Ten Commandments, and made them a nation. And here's Elijah on that same mountain, it's not on fire, uh, in a cave, hiding out, getting as far away from his God-given responsibilities and the threat that they're causing as possible. And God shows up, seems to show up in the exact same ways that he had shown up at Sinai. But the Bible notes that God was not in those things. And then there's this gentle whisper, gentle breeze, depending on how it's translated. And Elijah covers his face up which is a symbol that the presence of God becomes very powerful in that gentle whisper. And here's what a lot of people think that this kind of weird story means, and I'm one of them. It means that even when God is not doing the supernatural, it doesn't mean that he has left us. You see, Elijah in his depression is like, I'm depressed because God hasn't just fixed everything. 
God hasn't shown up in fire again. God hasn't shown up in wind. God hasn't shown up in an earthquake and just said, hey, whole world, I'm here. I'm, I'm working. I'm alive. I'm active. Serve me. There's been no booming voice. There's been no supernatural. There's been nothing that we would think of as miraculous. God, you failed me. Now I'm depressed. And so I'm running away from what you have called me to do. And we feel that exact thing, don't we? Don't we feel that exact thing when we're depressed? Like, God, if you would have just fixed this situation, if you just would have healed in this situation, if you would just make me a better person, if you would just do exactly what I ask you to do and you would supernaturally show up, then I would feel better and then I could do your will. Elijah says that. And then God, in this still small voice, shows up. And I think he declares in that moment, even when it doesn't seem supernatural, even when there's nothing that you would deem miraculous, I am still with you, and I am still the same God. Elijah feels like the light of God's presence has gone out, and God shows up and says, you may not be able to see me, but I haven't gone anywhere. And then he asks again, what are you doing here? I have another question. Just a rephrasing of the old one, but my question for you today is, what are you not doing that you should be doing because you are depressed? Or what are you doing that you shouldn't be doing because you're depressed? God doesn't dismiss Elijah's feelings. God doesn't dismiss Elijah's needs. He doesn't say, just get over it. But he does emphatically question where Elijah is versus where Elijah is supposed to be. And this is the reality. This is not the main point of the sermon, but it is the reality. Depression is not an excuse to not do what God wants you to do. You see, God shows up and says, look, 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 look. I get that you're depressed. Here's food. Here's, here's sleep. You need that. I get that you're depressed. Here's a reminder that I'm still with you, that I still love you, that I still care about you, that I haven't gone anywhere. But you still have a job to do. And Elijah replies, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Same excuse. He just iterated why he was depressed. And I want to point out this. This is really important. That depression distorts truth. Because if you're paying attention and you go back simply one chapter, the people that have been put to death are the prophets of Baal. Not the prophets of the living God. It's the other prophets. God has just done this miraculous thing and here Elijah is in the midst of his depression and he distorts the truth. Nobody has actually tried to kill him for one thing. And for two, a lot of people had just accepted, just accepted God as their savior, as their God. They rejected the false God. And Elijah just distorts the truth because that's what depression does. 1 Kings 18.39, not that many verses before this. It says, when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. 
In fact, the Israelites had put to death the prophets of Baal. And so Elijah's truth is distorted, but he uses an excuse. Well, God, well, God, well, God, here's why I'm not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And God declares, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. God just says two important things. He says, one, go back and do what I've called you to do. Do what I've called you to do. God's not relenting on this issue. He's like, look, you're depressed, I care. Look, you're depressed, I'll take care of you. Look, you're depressed, I'm with you. But at the same time, go do what I've called you to do. He even recommissions him, and he often does that after people are depressed in the Bible. It's interesting. It's like God will, will hear them, listen to them, and then go, okay, well, here's the job. <laughs> Let me remind you of what I've actually called you to do. Now go, go and do that. And the other thing that God does for him is, is he, and I love this, he, he, he spoke truth to Elijah. You see, Elijah distorts this truth. And we do that, right? Nobody likes me and everything's bad and it will never get better. We say these things that that we probably know aren't true, but we just say them when we're depressed. And God says, oh, by the way, your idea about what's happening here is not right, believe me. You say nobody else is serving me? Well, I've reserved 7,000 who have never bowed down to a false god before. They are only worshiping me and I can call upon them at any time. And so go back and do what I've called you to do. You see, God cares about your depression. God is with you even if you can't feel him in your depression. And God wants to speak truth into your depression that distorts truth. But God is still calling you to do certain things and you need to do them. And here's what I want you to know. Here's the point. When you are depressed, do what God has called you to do and find truth from God and not feelings. Let me say it this way to help you remember it. Never let depression determine your decisions. Never let depression determine your decisions and always believe facts of faith over faulty feelings or if you like it this way better, always believe divine doctrine over the deceit of depression. The question is, what has God said to you and what has God said about you? We believe the lies of Satan, we believe the lies of the world, but the question is always, what has God said? And when you're depressed, I promise you this, you'll just have a choice. You can believe your feelings, which will always be negative and bad in the midst of depression, or you can believe what God has said to you. You have to make a decision. The Bible says things like you were created in the image of God. The Bible says things like you're loved, you belong, you are gifted, you will be okay, and that you matter. But when we're depressed, we don't feel any of those things. And you must make a decision to believe divine doctrine over the deceit of depression. I said that Job, Moses, Elijah, and Jeremiah were all depressed. And here's, this is, this is what I want you to know. Despite their depression, God used them in the mightiest of ways. Depression makes you feel worthless, but if you will choose to believe the truth of God and do what God has called you to do, even when you feel bad, then God can use you for incredible things. And that is the assurance 
that this passage brings to us. We say, well, if I wasn't depressed, then I could do something valuable. And God says, you are depressed, but you can do something valuable anyway. God says, you are depressed, but I want to use you anyway. God says, you are depressed, but you matter to this world. God says, hey, I know you're depressed, but you can change people's lives. I know you're depressed, but you matter to me, and I need you to do what I've called you to do, even if you don't feel like doing it, because everything feels bad to you. You see, the assurance here is that no matter what you feel like, you are an important part of God's plan and you ought to do what he has called you to do. Your mindset should be like Paul's in Philippians 1, 21 through 25, where he says, for me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'd be happier if I was dead. That's what Paul says. And we gloss over it as some super spiritual statement, which it is. But he says, it would be better if I were dead. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. I desire to die, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you. For your progress and joy in the faith. And here's the reality. You might be ruining somebody's progress and joy in the faith. If you don't do what God has called you to do. Because you're depressed. The world needs you even when you're depressed. To do what you have been called to do. Because you matter. You matter. Elijah's depressed and God says. Hey still have a job. You're still very very important to me. So I want to repeat those statements and then just finish with, with one more sentence. Never let depression determine your decisions. Always believe facts of faith over faulty feelings. And the assurance is this. This is what God tells us. If you will do these things, you will make a difference despite your depression. If you will let, not let depression determine your decisions and always believe facts of faith over faulty feelings, then you will make a difference despite your depression. Will you pray with me? Lord, I know that we'll all deal with this and, and God, we will, all, we will all have to make decisions uh, in the midst of depression because life doesn't stop just because we sit in front of a TV all day and try to forget about our lives. It doesn't stop. And I have seen God, um, too many people make poor decisions because of their feelings. And Lord, what happens, and you know that I have somebody very specific in my mind, God, what happens is that the world is, is not as good of a place. The world loses something because people let depression determine their decisions and they believe the lies of the world and of Satan and of, of their feelings instead of believing what you have said. And what you have declared about them, God. And, and, and Lord, I just know that people in front of me, people who will listen online, God, they either are depressed or they'll be depressed. And the tendency will be to give in to their feelings. And I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray that you would help that not be true for every person who hears this sermon, who sees this passage about your servant, Elijah. I ask, Lord, that every person, especially people who are depressed right now, would take hope, 
would take comfort, God, in knowing that despite their feelings, they are an important part, God, uh, of what you want to do on this earth. They are an important part of your kingdom being expanded, of your joy being brought to people, of Christians growing, God. They're an important part of that, no matter how they feel. And I pray that that would bring some relief, some joy in the midst of the darkness of depression. And Lord, I finally ask um, for people who have not become Christians because of specifically depression. And God, I know that happens, that people just don't feel good. And so they somehow project that onto you as not being good. And they allow for their feelings about how you have created them what you've allowed them to go through to be an indication of what you are like and what you think and feel about them. And I pray that you would break down that barrier and hopefully through the story of Elijah, they would see, God, that, that even when they can't see you, even when they can't feel you, you are there and you are taking care of them and, God, that they matter to you. And I pray, God, that you would bring them to salvation, that you would bring them to Christianity that they would accept your beautiful, wonderful gift of salvation that you so graciously offered by dying and rising again for our sin. Lord, I thank you that you didn't just record all the good moments in your Bible, but you recorded these, these intimate, dark, sad, depressed moments so that we could see that we aren't alone. Because others have dealt with what we deal with. And because, God, you are always with us. I love you, God. Thank you for this hope, this comfort. And I pray these things in your name.